Now, let, let us read together a portion of the Word of God in the time that we have. And that is Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. And uh, I think I said to the brother, chapter 29, but if we could read a few verses in chapter 28, Second Chronicles, chapter 28. Uh, we'll read the first five verses of chapter 28, and then we will go further down and read a few more verses, and then we'll read the first 11 verses of chapter 29. So let us read the word of God. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made also molten images for Baalim. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burnt his children in the fire, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who smote him with a great slaughter. Now turn to verse 22. Verse 22 to the end of the chapter we'll read. And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every several city of Judah he made high places to burn incense unto other gods. And provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they brought him not into the sepulchres of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah his son reigned in his stead. Chapter 29. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. 
And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank thee and bless thee for thy word. It is so applicable. It is so needful. And yet, O God, we confess that our hearts can be so cold and so barren, and we need that infilling of the Holy Spirit and that warmth and sunshine of heaven upon us. Uh, We pray that as thy word goes forth, if we are challenged by something, Lord, speak to us and build us up. If we are instructed, Lord, we pray that we might live our lives according to it. If we are convicted, Lord, about some matters, Lord, help us to bring these things to thee in prayer. If we uh, are, if something in our hearts has been covered, some sins, Lord, we pray that we might confess them too. Lord, yet we rejoice in thy salvation. We rejoice in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We glory in his cross. We are so amazed at the fact that Jesus died for us. We are amazed of his love and compassion. We who were once thy enemies, we who were once uh, worse than lepers, Because leprosy was only on the outside. But Lord, we have been leprous in the inside. And yet Jesus Christ has had compassion on us. Lord, we pray that all of these things would bring to thee in our lives honor and glory. And greater love for Jesus. Closer walk with him. And we pray that we might know thy presence now with us for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, friends, this evening I want to speak to you about features of revival. We talk about revival, we desire revival, but here we see beginnings of uh, Hezekiah's revival, as it were. And we want to give thanks to God. A Christian ought to be full of thanksgiving, because God provides for us, not just the blessings, but himself. He provides for us, he gives himself to us. Our God is great and mighty, and he gives himself to us in the scriptures. He gives himself to us by his spirit, and he has promised to give himself to us 
day by day. Jesus Christ says, I will come to you. And one day he will come to receive us unto himself. And so, friends, uh, we are gathered here this, this afternoon to think what has God's word has to say to us right now about our situation as individuals, as a congregation here, or as if you come from other congregation, as, as the Lord's people. What, what is God's message to us today? You can find fault and you can find problems and discouragements if you look for it. And it abounds everywhere. Well, you don't have to even look for it. You see it everywhere and you can become very discouraged. There is nothing wrong to see the error and the wrong things. But remember, God is greater than all of these things. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, the scripture says. As I said earlier on, God is on the throne and he is not worried. He is not in a state of worry. Um, And so we ought to have his sight on on things. Friends, the man who can truly say, to me to live is Christ. To, to, to me to live is Christ. My life is Christ. That person is, is showing Christianity in its purest form. Friends, knowing the right doctrines and doing the right things in the right way and a biblical way, they're all very important. And that's what the, the Bible League stands for. But if for you and if for me, if our lives do not show itself, in, in bringing glory to God and eternal blessings into the lives of sinful men and women, there are clouds without water. There are clouds without water. It's just words uh, if, if we simply say things, but our life doesn't show the, the joy of the Lord being our strength, the peace which passes all understanding, the fact that we believe in the sovereign God. We believe that God is in control. And yet what has happened? I think this past year has been a great revelation. It's revealed my heart. This, this past year or two, since the beginning of 2020, it's shown to me where I am weak and where I am strong. Who am I really trusting when I am unwell? When the news comes of, of this illness, the virus that goes around, where is my hope? In life and in death. And I think that's, that's where it's has uncovered things about the Lord's people. The Lord's church. The local churches. It's uncovered things from the view of the politicians. And, and the world in general. Now, <clears throat> we need living and experiential Christianity. Or my friends, it will be dead and called orthodoxy. So that is, that is where I think... That the Bible League gets the balance. It's, it's not promoting a dead orthodoxy, some sort of sanitized, reformed Christianity. Uh, I personally am fed up of such things. Sometimes I read, and, and I was saying to a brother, attending certain conferences, what is the reformed conference? And I, I, my heart sinks. Everyone is happy with everything that's going on. And as long as we have our little cliques, then all is well. And... Uh, and we don't want just a sanitized Christianity, but a heartfelt, true, real, biblical Christianity. 
uh, that is active and living and doing something in God's strength, not in man's strength, in God's way, not in man's methods and ways, by God's Spirit's blessing. That's what we must have. Or else we are clouds without water. We, we are promising people some things. It seems that it, as if there is going to be some showers of blessing. And yet the cloud comes and goes. So that is what we are about. And this is what we see in Hezekiah's revival work. It was the outcome of his own living faith in the living God. Uh, the, the faith which works by love. To God. So let us learn a few things, and I have two points. Uh, first of all, I want us to think and see the evidence that a revival was needed, and secondly, evidence that a revival had come or had started. Um, so, first of all, we see here in this passage that we have read together evidences that a revival was needed. How is that? How can we see that evidences of a revival, a need for revival, is, is here? Well, first of all, holy things of God are cut in pieces. If you were to go to chapter 28 and verse 24, chapter 28 and verse 24, we see here that Ahaz cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. He cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. The vessels there, they, they uh, were holy vessels. They were set aside to be used in God's house and in God's service for the worship of God. What happened to them? They were, they were hated. They were despised by King Ahaz because he hated the God of those vessels. That's what he hated. He hated the God of those vessels. He thought uh, to do what he could to make things useless in the house of God. And that's always Satan's work. Satan attacks the things that are to be used for the worship of God. So God's people, even if they wanted to, couldn't use them anymore. The land needed a revival because holy things were cut up. Cut up. And my friends, we have uh, in our day, Many people, who, some who are not Christians and some who say they are, they are trying to discredit the Bible all around. You only have to do some outreach work, evangelism work, and you see people who claim to be Christians and even ministers of the gospel who say to me, oh, you can't believe all of the Bible. A man said to me just last week, uh, a man said, well... You can't really believe that the father punished his own son on the cross. You can't believe that. And here is a man who was baptized at the age of 16 in a Baptist church. Now he's playing the organ in an Anglican church. And yet he says, I believe the Bible, but I just can't accept this matter. Or another thing was, how could a God who is full of compassion send people to hell and not only that, that forever. You see, these are people who say, we are Bible-believing. We are evangelicals. But my evangelicalism is a much more up-to-date evangelicalism. That's what the man would say. So we are not talking about some sort of a bygone age of modernism and liberalism. 
People cut up the vessels of the house of God. The, the 66 books are these vessels that are needed for God's people to use in their, in, in their temples, in their lives, in their churches. And so that's why the scripture is so important. To have the full Bible is so important. And even ministers distrusting the miracles, prophecies, the doctrine of the creation... The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are important doctrines. Or else it would not be in the Bible. And there are reformed and evangelical ministries and and churches and denominations who say, well, you don't really have to believe in the creation account, as the Bible says. We can allow different interpretations on the subject. Can we really? Then where do we stop? Where do you draw the line? Uh, on these and on any of these things either the bible is true either we have to take it as god has revealed it to us without putting our own interpretation on it or or the world or the scientific interpretation on it or we have to reject it you, you can't you can't do anything else either what jesus christ says is true or we can't accept any of his word. So we are, ourselves need revival. The church needs revival. The land needs revival. Because there is so much discrediting of the holy things of God. Even God's reverent form of worship is now in such a way that you talk to some Christians and say, I can't go back to my old church anymore. Things have changed so much now. That I can't, uh, I can't worship God in the presence of all that is going on. All with noise and with all of the things that's going on. And, and my friends, myself, 20 years ago, between 1997 and 99, when I was converted in, in, in 1999, the churches I used to go to in Sheffield, as I used to live in Walkley. And, and then f- further down towards the town center and going to various places. And now I think to myself, I never heard the gospel. But I heard lots of music. I, I, I was rocking with all these people, with all these bands, and with all the show that was going on. But what was it that changed me? It was through reading the scriptures. A sad thing is that I should have heard the gospel. I should have heard about my need of salvation. But in those churches, all was well. As long as I believed somehow in Jesus Christ, all was well. And then another thing, we have to move on. Another thing that we see is that the way of access was closed. The way of access was closed. And again, chapter 28 and verse 24, this is what we read. That Ahaz, he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. Israel surely needed revival because even God's people could not enter to worship their God. Ahaz hated. He, he denied that Jehovah existed. He, he was a, really an atheist. And, and then he wanted to shut others out from acknowledging Jehovah as God in the temple. And so this was a sign that There was no communion between the Lord and his people. If you shut up the access to the place of worship, then where is the access to God? 
In, in that concept of the Old Testament concept, the, the place where the glory of God dwells was shut up. And friends, generally speaking, um, in, in, in a land which used to reverence the word of God, this was a Bible land. Friends, our prayer meetings and the services, aren't they smaller than they used to be? Are we flourishing with numbers at the moment, evangelical, Bible-believing churches? Even professing Christians choose to do something else other than praying together. Do you put the prayer meeting as an essential part, that it will be part of your diary? So when family come, when some other situation arises, and I'm, I'm, I know that most likely I'm speaking to those who know these things, these are your convictions. But maybe I'm talking to some people who see it as, as optional, as secondary. I say to you, my friends, on the authority of the word of God, meeting together for prayer, for the worship of God is so essential, especially when the doors are open, when you can come in. No one has shut the doors, but we can shut our own doors of our own hearts. And our own attitude towards the things of God. And so, here it was. They shut the doors. And the doors of the heart of many people are shut against the real and the earnest spiritual wrestling with God. The door to commitment to, to serve the Lord. And taking opportunities that, that God's service is shut up. There is so much apathy. There is so much coldness. And I'm speaking to myself as well here. There is pride, which means we don't die to ourselves. There is so much of the world. We have so much luxury. We have so many gadgets. We have so many things that call our attention to them. And they, they flicker at us. They beep at us. They buzz at us. They don't let us alone. My friends, do what you need to do. To shut yourself with God daily. Do what you need to do to shut yourself with the people of God regularly. Don't become filled with coldness and apathy. If, if you are in that situation, then this is a message for you. God is saying to you, stop where you are going and turn around. I will receive you unto myself. There is little faith in preachers and Christians that the old gospel is still powerful. And that uh, there are people who aim to attract the masses by other means than the simple preaching and the teaching under the Spirit's power and blessing. That is what we need, my friend. People back um, turned by their lack of en encouraging the lost to come and hear. Or even personally witnessing they can shut the door of others hearing the gospel. Now I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached here. How many people did you invite this past year? I, I challenge myself. I challenge our own people regularly. If every single individual just brought in one person. You know. Those individuals will hear the gospel. And with that trust in God that he will save in his own Good time. In his own way, of course. Yes, we cannot save a soul. But he will. He has promised that he will. And, and I have faith in that. 
And I've seen that in the past year. Do you know this last year has been the most blessed year of, of our church? Um, I've, we have never had it like this at all before. Now I understand it's, it's all of God's doing. It's nothing of us. We haven't changed anything in our church. But we have nearly doubled in number. Uh, that we don't have enough chairs at times. And, and we worry, what if everyone comes today? On a Sunday morning, that's our worry at the moment. And I don't know if I should say this. Sometimes I think, I hope not everyone comes. Because that produces a lot of problems for us. A lot of t- technical problems. And, and, and sometimes when some, someone says, well, this family is unwell today. I'm, I'm glad about that. Or, or, it's, it's awful, isn't it? But, um, this is, um, but, but numerically... There's been a growth and, and conversions too. And you think, but we haven't done anything. And we don't deserve this. And why are these people coming? And I believe it is just in God's own timing, the sowing of the seed of the word, the prayers of God's people. These saints who faithfully, these old people who, who couldn't even come out, but they were praying. And they would say to me, we are praying we are praying. Every day we are praying that God would visit. And this past year, when everyone thought we should be emptying, people have been coming. And on a Lord's Day morning, there are at times 30 unconverted people in, in the building. What a privilege it is to preach to them and to see them come back again. But again, I'm saying that it is we, we need to be Doing what we can with the power of the Lord, with the trusting in the Lord. We should have a positive outlook that God will work in his own way, in his own time. I need to just sow the seed. I'm not here to, to make this, change the seed, change the message or anything like that. I need to live as the Lord says to me to live. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I need to live by faith, not worried, not fearful. But trusting God is going to keep me, the timing of my life, my times are in his hand, the psalmist says. And we sing them, don't we? That that is it. And uh, God will answer in his own time. You know, for about 11 years, we had no one. We went out on a weekly, monthly basis in the streets, preached the word of God, as we do today. Nothing has changed. For 11 years, it, it was discouraging because we had no one come in. And uh, and all we had was was were people complaining. That's all we had. Just one or two coming to help. Not not many. But my friends, the Lord has begun to work. It's, it's in His own timing. So so you might face things, and and as as we have many other challenges, many discouragements now, right now, we we must do what we can now. There are many things you want to do. You don't. You think. We don't have the resources. I, I don't have the years anymore. I don't have the strength anymore and, and such things. But we have a God who draws near to us when we draw near to him. We have all his blessings. He gives himself to us. And God will answer prayer. That is the most powerful thing that you could do for sinners. And you could do for those who preach the word of God. Who do go out. So don't say, and this is oftentimes I, I get that someone said, Pastor, I, I can't stand anymore. My arthritis and my 
rheumatism and various other things. I, I can't do anything, but I will pray for you. And I say, you know, you do more in your room when you are praying before God than many other people do. Well, I must move on. But the light of the testimony was put out as well. So the doors were shut. The light of the testimony was put out. And that's what we see in chapter 29 now in verse 7. Where we read, they put out the lamps. They put out the lamps, it says. And they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps. The lamps of God. They would burn with the pure and holy oil to reveal what? They would reveal the the beauty and the majesty that was around them in the temple. It It would show the wonderful Images that were there, and and the lamps were a picture of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And uh, their their lights became unbearable to those who loved the darkness of pagan religions and falsehoods like Ahaz did. But what about many Christians today? Many Christians' testimony, our testimony for God, is as a flame that is kindled and is sustained by the oil of the Holy Spirit. When the Christian's testimony is put out, when there is disharmony between the the profession and the practice of many Christians, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Uh, And when there are sins in the life which are not put away, when our testimony is put out by our gossiping maybe, gossiping tongue, the many things we have said you know, we have, we have read more of the things about COVID, I'm talking about myself, than the Word of God. We have talked more about this and that and the other thing that the media is talking about than calling upon God. If we only, if Christians spend the same amount of time in prayer than they were talking about these worrying things and the uncertain things, we would be in a better state now. But I fear that things are going to get worse and worse. I fear uncertainties will add up. Things will continue on, piling on top of each other. Why? Because God brings us to a place to make us realize that we need him. We need him to work in us. And so I believe the Lord will do these things. But if the church repents, if we fill the houses of God with people who are pleading with God and repentance and and faith and prayer to him, Uh, I believe things will change. As as the Lord has shown us in his word many, many times with Israel, the lamps were put out, the lamp of testimony. What kind of a testimony do you have? Is it shining forth or is it dim? Is it, do you shy away uh, from showing your testimony? Showing that you are a Christian, or is it hidden under a bushel, as the Lord says? And then another thing is this, that the offerings of incense is given up. Again, in verse 7 of chapter 29, it says that they have not burned incense. And you see, the lamps of testimony has been put out. The offerings of the incense goes out too. Offerings of the incense? means the prayers of God's people. And the book of Revelation speaks about that, that it is the prayers of God's people going up to heaven. 
They're connected together. They live or die together. The testimony and the prayer. I won't go on further about this, but, but this is what is needed. When, when we see need for revival is when we see prayerlessness. And so it, it should be an encouragement in one sense. It's, it's not a discouragement to, for us to examine something. It's, it shouldn't be something that, oh, well, what can we do about it? No, no. These things the Lord shows us in his word so that we can be encouraged. There's a way back to God. There's a way back to, to God. That's, I want to encourage you tonight. Yes, I want to uh, maybe tread on some toes. I want to uh, instruct some minds. I want to convict some folk. But I want you to be encouraged as well. These things God reveals to us to show us he will receive us. He will be there for us. He is going before us. He is there behind us. Underneath and round about are the everlasting arms. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The offerings of incense were given up. But also there, is, there was a general departing from the worship of God. A general departing from the worship of God. In verse 6 of chapter 29, in the latter part, we read this. That our fathers have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. That is what took place. Those who had all the blessings of God turned their backs. How could that be possible? How could it be? And you can look at the state of the land now and you think, how could it be? 40 years ago, things were very different. 60 years ago, 100 years ago, we could say, at least outwardly, there was, a, there was a general adherence to the Bible as being God's book. But how is it that things have turned, turned back? But many have forsaken, many have, fors- have left the Lord and the places where he is worshipped. They have forsaken him, it says. What had happened? They had left the true worship of God. And changed to something else. You can't just leave the worship of God. You have to add something. You have to replace it with something. And I believe that is happening. That has happened in so many places that claim to be Christians. And claim to be biblical. You know when I was leaving the charismatic church. One of the things I was concerned about. One of the things that I was asking. And at that time I had no clue about church history. You know I came from a very pagan uh, household no knowledge of God, just pagan worship of fire, sun, and such things. So I, I didn't know anything about church history. So I, when I came to this country, and then someone put a Bible in my hand, challenged me about my sin, and I, uh, I began attending a large Anglican charismatic church in Sheffield. I had no knowledge about anything about nonconformist churches and the history of the church what God had done but I knew the Bible was true after I was converted I knew the Bible was true and I can test everything by the Bible and that was the beginning of the end as I began to test things why do we do things why do we have this why do we uh, do this in the name of God these were my questions and do you know what they said to me what a mullah once said to me in Iran said you don't ask questions. You just trust what, the, what we say. That's, that's all it was. And usually when someone says that to me, it goes 
I go the opposite way. It's uh, my the old man raises and um, and I kick against it. Um, I, I I don't I think the scriptures are to be uh, the test mark. It should be the standard by which everything is tested. We ought to be the Bereans. And, and it is good to ask questions. It's good to, when Christians come, it's good to not come with our gadgets, but come in with a Bible. How could you? I, I wonder. And I, I, I think I'm preaching to the believers, as in believing in what I am saying here. How can you flip through the pages of the Bible and check things, test things quickly? It's so much more um, practical. And you don't have to charge it. You don't have to uh, touch it. It doesn't beep at you. It doesn't, um, you know, I, I have been in situations last Lord's Day. It was most embarrassing. Someone's phone going off and they couldn't find the place. And that they are tapping things away and, and all of these things. I think to myself, well, it would be much easier if you just brought your Bible to church. Anyhow. It's, um, and also, people are not distracted around you, wondering, is he checking his messages or, or what? You can't do that when you've got a Bible in your hand. Anyhow, that's some other subject. It wasn't in my notes. Um, so, friends, the worship of God. Do we believe that the Bible should guide the way we worship? Do we believe that God has said how he, what pleases him in his worship? Or do we think, we just think he would like this. Uh, It's all to do with my taste, my feelings. My friends, the worship of God has nothing to do with our taste. uh, We are not there for ourselves. We are there to honor the Lord. That was the battle from the beginning for Israel. Will they obey to worship God the way he has said? Or will they change it slightly? Will they just manipulate it slightly so that it would uh, be um, palatable for the people? The, the worship of God in the Old Testament is translated as service oftentimes. It's the same Hebrew word uh, that is translated as worship or service. And that's why we say the services are at this time. Have you ever thought about that? You know, this was a, maybe it's me because I'm a foreigner, that I, I used to think, why do they call it service? And uh, what are you servicing? I used to think. And, uh, and then I began to realize the scripture speaks about service of God. And, and it has to do with worship of God. And it means that we are offering to God. We are not coming for ourselves. We are coming to serve God. That's what it is about. And when you go to serve someone, you know, when I used to work in Sheffield in some of the restaurants in the high street when I was uh, doing my A-levels, it's, um, I never chose the dish for those people that I was serving. I never said, I think you ought to be eating this. I actually chose you such and such a meal rather than this one that you have asked for. Imagine, but there are people who are exactly doing that with the worship of God. They think they know best. And that's why you see these things. And it's a matter of faith. Am I going to trust the word of God that is sufficient for me in terms of my understanding of how God is to be worshipped or not? So all of these things show that revival was needed. Now I, pro- I think that watch on the back, that clock is stuck, I think. So we've got time. Um, so th- some of the things that we see around us, what are some of those things that, that highlight for us? We need something. 
We need the Lord to move amongst us. We have a spirit of what we call antinomianism, of saying, we don't really need the Bible. We don't need the laws of God. It's by grace of God that we are saved. And then after that, we can basically more or less do whatever we want to do. And, and, and that kind of a spirit abounds. A wrong concept of the grace of God. There is the contemporary worship. Uh, easy, casual kind of worship that abounds. Are we better off for these things? Is God more honored by those things? The kind of uh, modern preaching that lacks doctrinal preaching as well as application. Applying what we are preaching to people's lives. What ought they to do? That's, that's what a preacher should be doing. We expound the word of God. We apply it. However people might feel. I remember in my first two years as a pastor at Providence Chapel in Cheltenham. That there, there was a split. There was Within the first two years, we lost half of the membership. Now, it is a very hard time and in all of these things. And a lot of heart searching. A lot of... Um, you know, self-analysis and wondering, am I really doing the right thing and so on? But this is where your, your conviction on the word of God is so important. I'm not here for my children. I'm not here for my wife. I'm not here for myself. I'm here for the word of God and his, his honor and his glory. And so when someone said to me, I remember sitting in someone's living room and they said, you know, you expand the word of God wonderfully. But it's the last part of it which we don't like. It's the part that you say now in terms of the application. Now, how ought this affect our lives? That's the part. If you just leave that out and let the Holy Spirit apply it. Well, I said, but the Holy Spirit has called me to apply it. And uh, I, am, I am supposed to rebuke and instruct and all of those things that the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, I charge you. To do these things. And some of it is not nice. I don't like it. Uh, and, and to be told about what it is to be a husband. And what it is to be, a, to, to be a father. And I feel myself every time I preach through James. I actually I have not preached through James. I preach texts from James. But I have not preached through James. Imagine how convicting it is. I'm sure you've read James. And you think what am I going to do with my tongue. It speaks about the tongue. It speaks about the heart. And it's convicting. And, and when, when you look at all of these things, you look at the worldliness that comes in. Forget about out there, the people out there. What about my life? The worldliness and, 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 and such things. The unbiblical schisms as well. Dividing over things that really are our matter of opinion are not matters that you can go to the scripture for. Um, and, and here again, I think that book on worldliness will help you to identify what are some of the things as personal opinion and some of the other things that are biblical teaching. Or going into extremes, concentrating on one thing and forgetting other things. Uh, that is what we see, uh, uh, sadly, around us. And that should highlight you. We need revival. We need the Spirit of God to work. Matters regarding separation. Separations when there is compromise on fundamental truths of the Scriptures and the Gospel. 
Uh, we see that uh, not there or very in a weak state. So now in, in the time we have, I will mention <clears throat> to you the second part, uh, and that is the evidence that revival had come. Evidence that revival had come. You see, <clears throat> what they needed, the Lord supri- uh, supplied raising the 25-year-old Hezekiah. There was, first of all, a personal consecration. A personal consecration. And I'll just run through this very quickly because of the time. But you take time to study this for yourself. There was a personal consecration. In verse 2 of chapter 29, you read, Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did that. He didn't tell other people to do it. But he himself, it was a personal thing that he had to do. He began by getting himself put right in the eyes of the Lord. You see, he took responsibility. That was my father doing these things. And my friends, that's a great encouragement. You, you might look at the world and you see children in ungodly homes, desperate homes. And you think, what will happen? Well, Hezekiah was born in such a home. And then another thing, what about his mother? Nothing is said about his mother. Maybe the mother had been working. Maybe the mother had been praying. Maybe the mother had been teaching that little boy who was being raised in that wicked home. You see, the influences of things, small things, God uses it. And this 25-year-old man, he is convicted. He is putting things right. He's taking responsibility for himself. And it shows, as a man yields himself to God, God is reviving his soul. I was talking to my son coming uh, down here saying, we personally need revival. We need the Lord to move in our hearts as individuals. And, you know, you you can have a church filled with numbers. And, And for me, I said to you, the last year has been the most blessed year. But it has been the most depressing year. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this as it's being recorded, but there's been twice I've written a resignation letter because I've been so depressed about the fact that I see numbers, but I don't see the same level of spiritual growth. And that's my own uh, issue. That's my problem. Uh, and uh, not being patient with God. And... Uh, And easily Satan can come and distract us and depress us and look at all the issues and problems. But when our prayer meetings are filled, not just filled with people, but with people who are desperate for God, crying out for God, then I can see the Lord is visiting with revival. That's that's my measure. So when people say, don't you think we should be moving? I say, no. No, I don't think so. I want to see these people who come on Sunday mornings come to the midweek meeting. Then I know that they mean business. And uh, maybe I'm being too strict. I don't know. But I think that is, that is what the Lord is requiring of us, to, to be spiritually minded, of a praying spirit. So I'm encouraging you, dear friends, dedicate your time, your money, your homes, your families, your work, be it at home or away from home. Dedicate all of these things. That's what Hezekiah did. He committed himself to the Lord. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. 
Say to the Lord, Lord, use me in these things. It doesn't matter what others may say. But what does the Lord say to you? Don't say, I am too old. I am too young. I don't have much time and so on. Give whatever you have. There are many things you, you would wish you could do, but you can't do. You know, John, old John Knox, the reformer in Scotland, he said this, and that's really helped me through the years. He said, I, let me get it right. He said, there, we cannot do the things we want to do, but we must do what we can. We must do what we can. There are many things you can't do. You can't change things. But there are some things you can right now. It's not ideal, but it is something. Doing something for the Lord. And then we see the second thing is there was the opening of the closed door. There's the reversal of many, many things. In verse 3, it says this. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord. So that's another evidence that revival has come. Or has started to come. When every door in, in people's lives which had been closed through indifference, in unbelief, will be opened. God's presence will shine in. And that is what, my friends, shows that when people are yielded to the Lord, the doors are open. Lord, come in. Lord, visit me. My life. Lord, enter into every chamber of my life. I, I wouldn't have any part that... That one would say, the door is shut here. I don't want you to enter here. Whatever it is, Lord, use it. Shine in. Another thing that we see is this. There was a throwing out of the unclean things. In verse 5, it says, sanctify now yourselves. Sanctify now yourselves. Cleanse yourself. Make yourselves holy. He says, you are responsible. In verse 16, it's, it says this, that, that the priests did this. And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. So it was, it was thrown away. Things that need to put away from the people. And my friends, you might at the moment, you know there are certain things in your life. The things that you know, you're ashamed of, you won't mention it. And if, if the Lord is showing these things to you, you, you say, Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanse these things. Uh, and, and who, who uh, cannot say, I am a sinner? All of us are sinners. In certain things, we, we know secret sins and open sins. And as the psalmist says, cleanse thou me from secret faults. So there was a casting out of the unclean things. Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's the will of God for you. There was also, fourthly, there was a realization of their true position before God. These people came to realize, this is who we are. We are the Lord's people. Look at verse 11. It says, My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn 
incense. That's your position. That's your identity. God has chosen you. You didn't choose God. God chose you. So it's talking about election here. These people were elected by the Lord. Redeemed people. And when a redeemed people realize that their true relationship to Jesus Christ as the elect of God, when we realize that, then we realize that God is drawing near. He is speaking to our hearts. So listen to the Lord, dear friends. Listen to him. Are you one of his? Then listen to him. Rejoice. God is speaking to you. So friends, what are your responsibilities then? Maybe there are things that you've let, let, let slip. Maybe there are certain compromises. Maybe there are certain things that you have thought to yourself, well, we, we ought to change certain things. I've thought of that myself many times. I'm sure every Christian has. Maybe the reason uh, we don't have people coming in, especially young people. I, I get fed up of such things myself. When I started, I was 27 when I went to the church. So I was one of the young people. That's 14 years ago. And people say, oh, but we want young people in the church. So could we change this? Could we change the way you pray, the, the, the Bible that you use? Let's change it and become more modern. It sounds good. And I have thought about that. And I've thought about it real hard. And I thought to myself, what happens when I change that? Where have I come from? I came from that position. I came from that position of thinking if I was cool and hip, that's the language that is used, if, if I was, I don't use it normally, um, if I was like that, and uh, if I was seen as being casual in, my th- in, in, in the way I approached the Lord or approached people or approached preaching, then people would hear. Now, let me tell you this. You know those... Many, many, if not all of my friends, I only know one amongst those many, many people in that charismatic church that were cool and hip. They prayed in such irreverent manner. They used all kinds of Bibles and so on. None of them are attending places of worship. None of them are. And many of them, even my own best man, is now denying the faith. And he was the one who said to me, I need to read the Bible. Now he says, God does not exist. He's not real. Now they, have a, they had it all. They had all of that stuff that evangelicals and the reformed people are wanting. And I thought to myself, yeah, it is tempting to change things. But I have come to this out of biblical conviction that God must be respected. And I am approaching a holy God before whom the angels are covering their faces and covering their feet, crying out, holy, holy, holy. And then who am I to come into his presence? I come through the blood of Jesus Christ, but I come reverently. So I want to have a Bible that is complete. Oh yes, I might have to pick up a dictionary. I might have to, as a preacher, I might have to expand it. I have to explain this is what this word means. What's wrong with being a a little bit more educated about some things? You know, maybe it is me being a foreigner, but I had to... Pick it, have a dictionary next to my Bible. What's wrong to learn a few words? In, in any uh, field of a study, I'm sure those of you, if there is a nurse here, when you started nursing, didn't you learn some new words about, I don't know what? If you did engineering, didn't you learn some new words about some things? 
um, nuts and bolts. I don't know, I'm simplifying. Um, you, you have to learn some new things, new words. Well, why not with the inspired word of God? And so th- that, is, that is one of my concerns. And uh, I remember just about two, three months ago with these new people coming in. I know I'm being anecdotal here. And, uh, you know, it is very subjective. But I, I thought it really proved this for me when this couple came from a local Anglican church. And, and he said, I've, I've not been hearing the gospel for so many years. And he leaves our chapel uh, every Sunday morning with tears and says, all these years I've been going to this place. And here was a place where the gospel was being preached. So he comes with me to me after the service with, with tears running down his eyes. And he said, you know, why do you pray in a funny way? He said, this is how he put it. Use of thee and thou. Now, I'm, I'm not making a judgment about anyone. I'm just explaining my own experience. And you use a, a funny old Bible. Now, he said, do you think that will really attract young people into the church? Do you really think that is going to bring people in? So I said to him, that morning, we were running out of chairs. So I just said to him, can you turn around and look? And the chapel was full of young people. These are below 30s. Children. You know, I'm preaching to about 50 children on a Sunday morning. The parents keep the children in the church, which to some people, how can they sit? Will they listen? And they come to me after the service. They line up in a big queue. And it takes ages to, to see through all of their notes. But they're writing their notes. And these are four, five-year-olds. And, and the older, the grandparents used to say, they won't sit still. They won't understand the sermon. Now, those, those, they have changed their minds. You see, the problem is with our faith. Do we believe the word of God speaks to the children? So this, this man turned around and he said, okay, I, I don't have anything to say. It's, the chapel is full of young people, and, um, as well as old people too. But this is something I think. I think our issue is not to change things but to trust in the Lord, to fill our prayer meetings, to be out there preaching the gospel, being, being faithful and being faithful witnesses, to have a positive outlook on things. That, that is so important, to, to have a view that God has. You read Psalm 2. Make that a psalm of your life. God is sitting upon his throne. The wicked do what they want to do. But ultimately, who, is, who has the last laugh? It's God. It's... Um, so, so much could be said, my friends, this evening or this afternoon. But look at what God has been doing. Remember that he is sovereign. He is almighty. He is reigning over heaven and earth. Do you believe that? Do you live according to that? Do you believe in the promises of the gospel? That the gospel makes progress? That the church of Jesus Christ is having members added to it. Who is losing members? Satan's kingdom is losing members. That's it. Not Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom goes on growing and growing and growing. And from all nations of the world, there will be Christians praising the Lord on that final day. So be encouraged. Times are bad. Yes, they are bad. But remember... This is where you need Roland Burroughs to teach you church history. 
they used to be bad before. They were bad before. You read J.C. Ryle and his, his writings about the 18th century during Charles Wesley and Whitfield's days. And see, do you have open-air preachers um, being hit by dead cats? When was the last time you, you heard the open-air preacher being hit by rocks in, in England? I've never heard of it. I've had potatoes thrown at me in, in Yarm in north of, north of England. But um, not rocks and not dead cats. But um, so times have been bad before. And friends, this, this fight that you are engaged in, and it is a spiritual fight, is no uh, less than fighting, as Bunyan put it, with Apollyon. You are engaged in a battle with Satan. Yes, and he, he will seek to bring you down. That's his aim. Satan is alive. And, and he is the one who is wanting to bring down the church by distracting us. By getting us busy with, with certain things to take our eyes off from the main things. He is the arch enemy. So if you're men, he will try to tempt you. He will try to bring images before you. He will seek to tempt you to sit in your rooms in front of your computers and watch things that you would not want to mention at all. And he will get, get you ladies to be talking and talking and talking about things that ultimately means nothing. It doesn't matter. But as long as he gets you away uh, from the main things that we are about as Christians, he has had his day. So what should we do? Gird up the loins of your mind. You stand fast, as the scripture says, because the Lord is greater than the times in which we are living in. So let these things, we read, King Ahaz died. Let these things die with Ahaz as well. Call on the Lord Jesus Christ to raise up the spirit of Hezekiah. Then our profession is true. To me, to live is Christ. And to die is what? It's gain. You know, a lady came to our, our church some months back. She's not a Christian. And he said to me this. He said, do you know what is so discouraging for me? To, to go to churches and Christians are worried about death. Worried about dying. Worried about catching a disease. And I thought to myself, I'm just t- testifying of what she said. And I thought, what a witness that is. What kind of witness have we been to a person who has come from outside into a place And she's looking to hear a positive message of salvation. And she said, all I want to hear is what my father used to teach us as I I was a little child. And I have come, and everyone's worried. And I I was so cast down that that Sunday morning. And, And I said, but look to Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is not worried. And the Lord Jesus Christ is is a savior of the world, the scripture says. So friends... Do you want to leave a good testimony before the world? Have your hope and your trust in the Lord and, and trust in what the Bible teaches us. Well, may the Lord encourage you, uh, dear friends, in, in these few words that I have said. And may we know his presence with us now. Let us pray. Lord, we thank thee for thy word We thank thee, Lord, for the encouragements that it gives us. We thank thee for 
the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, we have all things. Salvation of our souls, a safekeeping through this world, and a safe arrival into the next. We thank thee, O God, that there is an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, awaiting us, purchased by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we pray for thy blessing upon every home represented here. Everyone, single or or married, those who are widows, Lord, bless them all, we pray, in all their affliction, in all their concerns and worries. Lord, draw near to them in times that they are ready to give up, in times that they are brokenhearted, in times that they are filled with pain and the painkillers are not working. Lord, draw near to them and bless them richly. This is the veil of tears, the valley of tears, this world. But Lord, we thank thee that it is only temporary. It will not last forever. And Lord, help us to fight a good fight of faith while we are alive. And we pray that we might see the hand of God upon his church. Lord, there is a cause. The Philistines have come. Uh, The great Goliath is there demanding us uh, us to join with them or die. Lord, we thank thee for that King David, our Lord Jesus, who has come to rescue And we pray that he might go before us and we would follow him. So bless us now, for Christ's sake. Amen.